God's grace, peace, and His mercy be with you on this midweek of Lent 4, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. How's everybody doing this evening? Good. Well, what make and model of automobile did Paul, the other apostles, and the first Christians drive? Not a, not a Thunderbird. Yeah. It was a Honda Accord. Because, you know, in Acts chapter 2, it says of the early church, they were all in one accord. <laughs> what a wonderful picture of the early church, though, huh? The first Christians, they were all harmonious and consistent with one another. That's what accord means. Now, how long do you think that lasted? As we have seen this Lent in view of God's mercy, Jesus came into a society that valued power and authority over others, practiced retaliation on others who insulted or offended, valued material wealth and money over almost, well, everything, and cultural superiority, to, to name just a few. So I ask the question again, how long do you think the early church was of one accord? 30 minutes. Yeah, that's what I heard someone say. You're probably not far off. Because Disagreements came very quickly. Hostilities between people arose. In Acts, it even says of the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Well, these guys apparently couldn't get along or couldn't work together. Agreeing to disagree was not a thing back then. And if you read on the New Testament, the letters of Paul to the Christians in, in Corinth show a significant discord in that church. His letter to the Galatians presents a conflict with legalists in the church. And Ephesians was written to help mend a rift between Gentile and Jewish Christian converts. And so goes much of the rest of the Bible all the way up to Revelation. It was a challenge in the first century for Christians to be in one accord. It's a challenge for in the 21st century for Christians to be in one accord. We too find it hard to live in harmony and consistency with, with each other. Yet we are called to be at peace with one another. This is not easy. Some have a harder time being at peace than others. We all need mercy though in our relationship with one another. Thankfully, God gives His mercy to us so that we can show mercy to others. In this way, we're able to live in one accord in view of God's mercy. Well, if Honda made an automobile called the Discord, nobody would buy it, right? Because the word suggests to the customer that none of the parts in the thing are going to work harmoniously together. It'll fall apart. It's the same with people. We are frequently in discord. Ephesians identified some of the sources of discord when Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Well, what is corrupting talk? Well, Paul says it's bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, and malice. In the original language of Paul's letters, the Greek word for corrupting has its root in the same word used for food 
that spoils. So picture then, the words coming out of your mouth are like spoiled food. You're talking and your mouth is chomping away at rotten bananas or, or moldy, mushy, rotten grapes and they're falling out of your mouth as you talk. This is, the, this is uh, true of our relationships with one another. When we're in one accord, our words are clean, beautiful. They build up people. But when our relationships are subjected to the corrupting talk of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is not clamoring for something, but it's a vehement protest, you know, lashing out at somebody. Slander and malice, well, then things get rotten pretty quick. The decaying influence of sin rots relationships, even in the church. Probably more so in the church, because the church is always under assault by the devil. A trusted friend says hurtful things behind your back. A church leader snubs you. Hopefully that's never me. If it is, call me out on it. You become a victim of corrupting talk. We're not always the victims, though. We can just as easily be the perpetrator and the instigator of decaying of decay in relationships. When we disagree with someone, we cast aspersions. We don't feel valued, so what do we do? We undermine others. When we feel wronged, we turn to attack. Yes, even in the church, such corrupting conditions arise to rot the sense of community. And Satan jumps for joy at the results. It's for this reason Paul warned the first who went before us, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But that's not all he says. He immediately follows that up with, but only use such talk as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul says our talk should not be for the purpose of corruption, but rather for the goal of construction. We're not to tear down others, but instead are to build them up. The key to this is forgiveness. Paul offers this constructive advice. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Just put it away. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When we're doing the corruptive talk, if we're the source of that corruption, we are to repent of it. Paul says, put it away. Well, that sounds good. You know, we can just stop doing it. But how's that working for most of us? You know, because most of us have a hard enough time trying to stop the rest of the things we do and think that we know we shouldn't. One way we get rid of it, though, is through confession of sin. Confession to God and to the ones we've wronged. I've done it. I know it works. So have many of you. The Holy Spirit has tremendous power when words of forgiveness are spoken. And Lent is a special season for this. So especially at this time, we are to confess our sins to God and one another and seek reconciliation with those we've wronged. The good news is God promises forgiveness. He doesn't dangle it in front of us like a carrot to see if we can grab it for ourselves. 
God forgives for the sake of his son Jesus. In Christ, God was rec reconciling the world to himself, not uh, counting their trespasses against him. God reconstructed our broken relationship with him by reconciling us to himself in Jesus. Through his suffering and death and resurrection, our Lord has forgiven our corruption and restored a right relationship with him. This is his mercy and grace, my friends. And sometimes we're not the source, but the receivers of it. How do we respond then when, when someone talks trash about us or hurls insults? Again, the key is in verse 32 of our epistle reading. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be. Be that way. Why? Because, as Paul goes on, God in Christ forgave you and me. We can't forgive others by our own power. We would ruin everything. But by God's power working through us, in His Holy Spirit, we have the power. We forgive in view of God's mercy. One of our preschoolers was praying the Lord's Prayer out loud, and she recited the words as she heard them, but they weren't quite right. Her rendition captured the, the truth pretty well. She said, Forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. You know, trespasses, trash baskets. You can see how a, a child would, would uh, might hear that, you know. And we can see that it's not far off from the truth. There are those who put trash in our baskets. They deliver the corrupting talk of bitterness, anger, slander, and all the things we've just been over. Paul tells us to put all that away. We are to take out the trash, dump it out, but not into others' baskets. We dump it out by repentance and forgiving. Likewise, we ask God to forgive our trash baskets, the ones we dump out on others. And in view of His mercy in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. In the power of His mercy and grace, we now forgive those who put trash in our baskets. Amen.